When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtzcast. Cole Petum here as always and of course we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club and it's not a match review, it's not a match preview. Of course it's the international break which I, I feel like a lot of Villa fans and football fans in general just feel a little bit distasteful about most of the time or maybe that's my general perception of it being Canadian and only having an international team that's been somewhat decent over the last few years but nonetheless we do have Mr. Simon O'Regan here as well and we have the Irish legend the Irish myth the man whatever you want to call him I did that in in no particular order Mr. Neil Dunworth as well we're just going to kind of dive over the next 25-30 minutes or so of Unai Emery's job at Aston Villa thus far look at the rest of the season as a whole and uh, I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get from there but Simon I'll come to you first How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, I'm one of these people that doesn't mind the international break because I follow England. I go to to all the home games, a few of the away games. And obviously, I was at the World Cup, so I'll uh, I'll be there on Sunday watching them against Ukraine. So, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'd always prefer to watch Villa, but I, I don't mind watching England either. I'll, I'll let that slide. But nonetheless, Neil, how's it going for you? <laughs> going good. Yeah, going good. Uh, Ireland have... France at the weekend, so yeah, I don't think there's enough centre halves <laughs> in, in in the Irish squad to to keep that scoreline low. But uh, we live in hope. We live in hope that uh, they might have an off day. Bring back Richard Dunn. That's all I can say. That's only yeah, Richard Dunn. Yeah, the only Villa <laughs> ex Villa defender I could think of that was. Oh no, I guess Kieran Clark would be too. Wouldn't he? Yeah, Paul anyways. McGrath. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, Paul I McGrath. Yeah, <laughs> I take yeah. Paul McGrath in there. Yeah, we, Paul McGrath, and Richard Dunn. Richard Dunn did put have one of these iconic performances for Ireland. Ireland played Russia in two thousand and gosh, I'm going to say two thousand and nine, eight or nine. And Paul and Richard Dunn um, got a knock to the head and he just completely split his head open. There's blood everywhere. And he played on with a bandage and they got him a jersey, but there was no number on his jersey. So they had to write the number and permanent marker. Uh, so they had to write the actual number and permanent marker on the back of the jersey. And that that was an iconic performance because somehow Ireland drew that game and Richard Dunn was just outstanding for the whole game. It was, it, if you can find any footage of it, it's worth watching. Only if not, if not for the, for the performance, for the jersey written in permanent marker with five written on, in permanent marker on the back of it. I do remember that game quite vividly, to be fair. Yeah, Dunn had an absolute blind that day, didn't they? Yeah, he was outstanding. Well, let's uh, let's end the Irish cast and get back to the whole <laughs> cast. That was my fault. But nonetheless, of course, like I said, 
we're gonna have a little bit of an Unai Emery love-in. We've had that for I don't know, basically since he's come in. Simon's been a part of a lot of them as of lately, and we've just reminisced, lackadaisical, um, been in love with the man. He's brilliant. I mean, of course, like I was saying to Neil pre-recording, I came into Villa fandom around the end of the McLeish into the Lambert era. Why you would choose Villa at that point in time in your life? Was I going through a life crisis or what? Regardless of that, I do not remember. Um, but this is the best I've ever seen Villa do, and it's very, very enjoyable to say the least. So, Simon, I'll, I'll throw this to you first. I mean, it's pretty a pretty obvious and open-ended question that everyone probably has the same answer for, but this is why we're here. So, given that Una Emery has been here since, what, early November-ish, what do you make of the job so far? Outstanding. I, I mean, I think I've said it before a couple of times in this podcast. The it's it's almost easy to forget the just what a bad position that we were in when he took over. I think I think we we're around sixteenth, seventeenth, and only a couple of points off the bottom of the league. And the fact that we're now I think eleven points clear of Crystal Palace, or obviously just one place below us, it's it's an unbelievable job that he's done. I kind of I, I don't really think that he's getting the credit that he kind of deserves in sort of the wider media, which, I mean, I'm not really fussed about or surprised because Villa often, I think, overlooked by the national media. But I've heard the last week or so a, a couple of various different football podcasts where whenever they've talked about Villa, they, they've kind of said, you know, uh, teams in the relegation battle, they'll be wanting to play the likes of Fulham, Brentford, Villa, because we're mid-table, we've got nothing to play for. But it's almost like they kind of just looked at our position on the table and just made that assumption rather than having actually watched us play. And I mean, the points tally we've got since Emery's come in. And, and I completely dispute the fact that we've got nothing to play for, even with four points off six. <laughs> there's, there's still plenty to play for this season. But yeah, the, the job he's done. I, I, I know it's only 14 games, so you could say, you know, it's quite a small sample, but it's it's not just the points and the results he picks up, but it's the way that we that we're playing football. You can see there's there's like proper clear coaching going on, the clear game plan, the players are buying into it, and it it just it just sort of feels like we could be at the start of something pr- pretty good to watch over the next few years. Yeah, an outstanding job that he's done so far. Well, let's let's cross our fingers that it continues. And Neil, I'll throw this to you. I mean, really, since Gerard left and Emery has come in, it just kind of almost feels like a dark cloud has been absolutely evaporated into nothing, hasn't it? Yeah, I I, I think the managerial styles and the credibility, I suppose, of the managerial styles of both player both uh individuals I suppose are, are are completely different. Look, and that's not me having a sly dig at Steven Gerrard. It's he's a novice manager. Um, he's he's probably he's going to go on and manage another team, and I'm I've no doubt that he'll have more success like he did with with, with Rangers uh, up in Scotland. Um, but we were the wrong team at the wrong time for him. And Unai Emery is more of a studious type professor type. It's been said about him an awful lot before that people would have heard him described as that. Um, a lot of times previously, and I think realistically you know the arm around the shoulder or the the kind of the teacher and the pupil kind of method worked with dean smith 
it were and it's working with Unai Emery now to but with a more kind of scholastic kind of feel to it. Um, but I think the you know as you said the dark cloud so more so was that you know you have uh, I suppose you get you get to a point where by you know Stephen Gerrard clearly didn't have the answers to what was going on in the field. He began to get a small a bit you know thorny in his in his responses to it. Started blaming people that you know that that the maybe maybe he shouldn't have blamed uh, and started making scapegoats that have now gone on under Unai Emery to to excel within the team. And 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 yeah, look, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't myself call it a black cloud as I say. I I do have a lot of um, I don't like I I I couldn't care. Like Stephen Gerrard, as I said, he he'll go on, he'll get another job, things will be fine for him. Um, and I don't hold any ill will towards him. I just think we were wholly the wrong club for him, absolutely the wrong club for him. And uh, he came in and he made a lot of changes, and he his heart was absolutely one hundred percent in the right place. But when things didn't go his way, it was clear that you know that that a uh, a conscious decoupling needed to happen at some stage. So glad that it did, and glad that we have Mister Emery in now because as uh, as two of you mentioned there, the the respect and the credibility is beginning to creep back into Aston Villa and into the name of Aston Villa with regards to our performances more so than kind of the celebrity figure that maybe was over the team at the time. Absolutely. And just to kind of read out a stat, um, since Emery's arrival, only Arsenal on 35 points have won more points than Villa with 26. Uh, Man City have accumulated the same number of points over the same period, having played one fewer game and are ahead in the form table only on goal difference alone. Keeping context, of course, in regards to Steven Gerrard, this isn't a Steven Gerrard, um, I, I guess, screw you fest or anything like that. No, um, no. but um, I mean, it was bleak under Gerrard. The club were 16th after 13 games with three wins, three draws, and seven losses. And it is important to kind of put into context, too, guys. I mean, when Gerrard came in, in particular, just to have a moment of kind of reflection on that, I mean. I know me and Tom discussed it on a few podcasts and I definitely felt a little bit hesitant. Now, of course, after a few wins, that little bit of a bounce, you might kind of ride along with that momentum. And I'll admit I became one of those people that really thought he would succeed. And of course, you don't want any manager to really fail, of course, because they are running your football club at the end of the day on the pitch. Um, Like you said, Neil, it's unfortunate how it, how it ended up and, you know what, he will go on to manage again, I'm sure. And hopefully it's better. And hopefully he's learned some valuable lessons and kind of take some of the, uh, I guess you would say, failures, I guess, to be blunt from his time at Villa and works that more into successes. As long as he's not facing Villa and beating us then, I mean, of course. But um, in regards to that, Simon, I'll, I'll throw this back your way because I think a lot of people look at different players under Unai Emery um as his under his time as villa boss really and kind of pinpoint them as one of the main reasons do you is there one that stands out more than any of the others for you or do you think it's been more of a kind of a collective process i mean i think in general it has been more of a collective i think you you've seen the majority of players really improve i I think obviously ollie watkins i think that that's a big one um you know we Kind of, I think we've we've all more big fans of Ollie Watkins, and at times, and I mean, I was certainly guilty of this myself. 
kind of probably was overly critical of him because obviously he does miss some chances, but it kind of feels like since Emery's come in, he's he's be, sort of becoming more clinical. Maybe that's because I mean, I think I, I saw I'm positive I saw an interview with Watkins or some quotes from him sort of saying how Emery's worked on him in terms of his starting position. So he's not, I mean, he does come back deep to help out the team when, when we're under pressure. But when we've got the ball, he's he's not chasing every single lost cause and he's not, he's, he's not, um, he's not sort of putting himself about the pitch as much as, as as he used to do, and and that's that's not like having a dig. I think that's a good thing. I, I think he's he's sort of working on b- being in the positions so that when we've got the ball and we turn it over in the transition, that rather than being 15, 20 yards outside the box, he's more on the edge of the box. So when the chances are coming, he's better positioned and better set to to finish these chances off. So I think he's obviously improved a lot. I think another one is Douglas Louise. Um, I mean, we were talking about him, you know, raving about him after the Bournemouth game and sort of just reiterating what I was saying. Then after that game, you know, I've been a big fan of his since day one. But I think the alongside Kamara coming in and that partnership, that's obviously helped him improve because he's not having to do as much of the defensive work that he was being asked to do before. But I, I think you, I think Henry's had a massive impact on his game already. I mean, he, he started the season quite well anyway. I think, but the last couple of months, especially, he's just he's really gone on. His his sort of goal contributions are going up as well in terms of goals and assists, and he's, he's like driving forward with the ball a lot more. You know, I, I think previously he because he has got a good range of passing. He he pick it up deep and he like happily spray it about and just sort of you know little short, simple passes to keep the ball going. But now he looks so much more confident to take the ball off the back four, turn with it and drive the team forward. And he's becoming a really big player. So I think them two are probably the biggest standouts. And so you could probably put Mings in that as well. I I mean, I think Mings was having actually a fairly decent season under Gerrard anyway, bar the sort of big high-profile mistake against Chelsea. But um, but I think he's really come on a lot, and I mean to be honest, he, I think he should have been in that England squad for, for this international break. But that's, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast on on England squad selections. So yeah, probably them three I'd say the main beneficiaries. But so I think in general that they all have. I mean, even Matty Cash, you can throw him in there. The the improvement in recent weeks, you know, having had a bit of time out the team post World Cup. And I think I've even seen him talk about how he's sort of sat with every one-to-one and gone through what he should be doing. So, I mean, yeah, you, you could go through so many different people, really. Absolutely. And, of course, I'll, I'll throw a few stats out here and there as we kind of go on, of course. But Villa have managed to find the net in all 16 games while Emery has been in charge. So that's 27 goals in all competitions, 1.6 goals per game. I mean... Simon, kind of coming from a side earlier in the season and even into last season, and I can remember, especially in preseason, it was a little bit of concern that there wasn't too much creativity going on up top. But I mean, for Emery, who has been more known in the past as a defensively minded manager, he's sure shored things up at both ends, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, 
it, it shouldn't really be a surprise that this is happening because we've got some really talented players in that squad from de- defensive and attacking point of view. And it kind of, you know, the 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 fact that we've scored in every game since we've come in and and we look like a real threat in every game, it it just really blows my mind that a previous manager used to say we just need a bit of magic from someone like that. That's absolutely incredible that that was the excuse for the the lack of goals and it just as we've said plenty of times over the last couple of months, it it shows just how how much of a difference having a proper game plan, proper coaching and style put in place. Cause you can, you can see what, what the plan is. You can see how, how they're sort of trying to get the ball forward and where they want to create and, and get goals from. Whereas at the start of the season, you just, you're going to games and you're watching games and you're coming away thinking, I've no idea what they were asked to do, what they were supposed to be doing. And Watkins, it was so isolated, you know, there'd be, he'd have balls lumped up to him and there'd be no one within 30, 40 yards of him. And the fact that the the pitch, they, they look a lot tighter together now. There's the, You don't have massive gaps between defence, midfield and attack. And I, th- I think that's probably been one of the main things why we, we're now scoring in every game because we've got the players who can create and score. And now we've got a system in place and patterns of play worked on and developed to actually get goals yeah 100 percent. and you know I'll, I'll toss this one your way i mean we kind of sit back and look at it and of course simon says it hasn't been an incredibly long time since unai emery's been villa boss but when you sit back and look at that kind of whole mindset in terms of the job he's done thus far the goals that have been scored how quickly things have went from okay, really, should we be playing out from the back? It looks like some of these players can't cope and how fast some of these players have adapted. And now it almost looks like it's seamless and effortless. That kind of progression, I mean, that only really comes when it is through a, I guess, a world-class manager, if you want to kind of title him as that, would you say? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And this week, I suppose, um, I've seen a lot of chatter on Twitter with uh, an Irish um columnist who I actually have a lot of good time for Miguel Delaney who um, a lot of Villa fans have been going back and forth to him over the use of the word elite and uh, in the semantics of the word elite and so on I, I, I didn't get involved in it because realistically speaking you know it's 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 a zero-sum game you can't win that and and like Miguel Delaney when he says that he isn't elite he can always point to the fact that somebody else is better than him and so on and so forth it's for me it, it doesn't make much of a difference I think what I want uh, or like for me um when you talk about world class or you talk about talk about high level managers you really look at what they've won in the game you know nobody could sit here and say that Carlo Ancelotti isn't a world class manager or there's uh you know managers that have won lots that Jose Mourinho isn't or hasn't been at some stage in his in his career being a world class manager and the reason for that is because they've got the CV and they've got the um the list of accolades to to um to uh, to back it up but when you talk about it, I suppose like elite elite is a different word to use and, and I know this isn't the question you asked but elite for me is a different word to use it's more subjective um and it's more um it, it's more what you think is the elite means essentially um 
and and look, we're lucky to have this manager that we have. And I know I've gone tangential and I've gone completely off off topic, really. I suppose when I'm talking about this, but it is good to have that world class manager. You know, you guys uh, mentioned there that um, he's come in, he's he's improved an awful lot of players, and that was one of the one of that's been one of the criticisms I think of managers past. You know, you mentioned when you came, when you started following Villa, like it was McLeish, it was Lambert, it was that type of era. You know, you're talking about the likes of. Uh, um, what you call him, Tim Sherwood to come in there. I certainly wouldn't call any of those world class everyone's favorite, Neil. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't call any of those any any of those managers elite or, or world class. And, and one of the reasons why I wouldn't call them that is because uh, none of them, um, to any great degree, improved players that we already had. And what we've seen with Una Emery is, and you can call it. Uh, stubbornness, so you can say whatever you like, but we didn't spend an awful lot. We only brought in uh, mediocre, uh, we only spent a mediocre amount in the January transfer window, and I think that's because Una Emery backed himself because he knows he's a good manager and he knows he can get the get the best out of these players. And we're seeing that with like some Matty Cash coming back into form, albeit that it looks like he picked up an injury tonight uh, playing for Poland. And uh, we see Douglas Louise coming back into form and so on. And that's just to name a few. So, um, I yes, I, I would agree with the fact that he is a world-class manager. I've been, I'm on record as saying that I would probably have him as one of the top 10 to top 15 managers in Europe at the moment. Probably even in the top 10, I think, uh, more so. Um, and I'm just delighted he's asked him for his manager because as you see some, you know, You've got Alexis the Spurs there. We've got a really good manager and Antonio Conte there. Things aren't really clicking for them at the moment. And it looks like Conte is going to be out the door. So just because you're a really, really good manager doesn't mean you're going to fit in with a club at the right place in the right time. Like I mentioned with Steven Gerrard before, but so far so good. It looks like Unai Emery is fitting in with this club and making this club his own. And I'm delighted to give him the keys to do so. Well, you mentioned the keys there. And I know... Um... Tom has brought this up in the past and I've kind of mentioned it in podcasts since then. It's been about time that Villa have given a capable capable manager the keys to the kingdom, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, long may that continue. And when you really sit back and look at it, and I I mean, me and Simon talked about this, I think, on the last podcast post-Bournemouth. And I just it, it's so true in my mindset, and maybe some people would disagree, but when you look at Unai Emery, and his history as a football manager and a head coach. I mean, you look at his time at Villarreal and their success there, and of course at previous sides, and then of course at PSG and Arsenal, where, I mean, he didn't do poorly by any means, but those are massive clubs with massive expectations to be the best in the world. And I mean, really, PSG really are still aiming for the top and just haven't been able to get over that line still Mm -hmm. I mean anyone after in my opinion after Arsene Wenger at Arsenal was always going to have a tricky time Um, but when you look at Villarreal and then Villa it just seems like two clubs that there's a real project there to build from not necessarily scratch but there's almost that little bit of an underdog story and I feel like Unai Emery in my opinion fits that mold as a leader that can really kind of take clubs like us back to where we want to be to that next step and you know what there's so many mental hurdles that we've had under that I can think under Dean Smith when we thought you know what 
he can finally get us there. And then unfortunately, because of X, Y, and Z, it didn't work out the same thing under Jared. And of course now things are all different, but to get to one stat here before we slightly move on. And I I think this is an important one. um, Villa have been winning 1.85 points per game since Emery took charge, which means only Arsenal, Man City and United have better points to game ratio over that same period. If the season was to be taken as a whole in regards to Villa accumulating 1.85 points per game, we'd have 70 points, which means in the, we'd be in the top four out of the last four of the eight seasons that have been played, which, I mean, of course, that's a stat that anyone can look at and think, oh my God, we're the best team in the world. We're going to be top four. Give, give us the parade. It's not as simple as that, is it, Simon? <clears throat> no, it's not. But it's not something that I think like you can massively dismiss either because it's in that run, you know, we played Man U, we played, we played pretty much all the sort of top teams, you know, there's, there's, it's not like that's a points per game tally that we've had from just playing the teams on the bottom of the league. Now, obviously it's sustained, just because you've done over 14 games, it doesn't mean that you'll sustain that over 38. But I think what it does show is that, even with the squad of players that we've got at the moment, they're capable of of of, of putting runs together and, and and you know accumulating points at, at a decent rate. So you kind of, I, I think it's it's a it's a good thing to, to sort of it's a good start to have really because you know that it, it kind of it gives you confidence that you can see what he can do with what the squad that he's been given. So you sort of think, well. Imagine what what can happen, you know, after summer transfer window when he's sort of able to shape the squad more into how he would want it to be. So I, I think yes, yeah, it's, it's an encouraging thing to have, really. And and the, the thing with it as well is, is for me, is you, you can't still say now that oh, this is just like a new manager bounce or anything because it's not. Because four games, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's not a loads of games, but it's a it's a decent run of games that we've had together, and you've had sort of little wobbles within that as well. Obviously, we had the three-match three run where we lost and conceded 11 goals in the three games. But then since then, obviously, we're beaten in four now. I think we've one goal conceded, and that was a, you know, a, an, an iffy penalty, shall we say, at West Ham. So, I, I think, um, yeah, it's just another thing to me that, that the points to stuff to be excited about, really. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just great to see. It's... I mean, I've had a season ticket at Villa since 1997, so I've I've seen I've seen a variety of managers and with a variety of levels of ability and stuff. And I, it's been a while since I've sort of been this like excited and confident about where I think we can go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
would you say, Simon, I mean, like you said, since 97 that you've had a season ticket, if you're going to compare Unai Emery in any kind of way, shape, and form in any aspect to any Villa manager of the past, who would you say? Just curious. That's, yeah, I, I don't really think you can. And that's that's purely because, I mean, we've had more so in my earlier periods as a Villa fan, we had... Um, you know, regular sort of top five, top six finishes. So that was, you know, under like Brian Little, John Gregory, and then uh, a bit later on, obviously you had Martin O'Neill. They're, they're all, we've always tended to have just sort of British managers. So it's, Emery's a very, very different type of manager to what they were. And football now is very different game to how it was in the late 90s, early 90s. So, in terms of, because I have thought about this myself, like who would you compare? And to, I, for me personally, I don't think you can really make any sort of fair comparison to previous manager. What I would say is that the last time I kind of felt that we were in a position in terms of players we had available and the manager we had at the time we had them was those years under Martin O'Neill where you really thought, there's a really good basis here to build on. And I think the difference this time to that is that I think we've got we've we've got more financial muscle that we can compete at that time, especially towards from sort of like 2009, 10 onwards, there was a, a shift in what we were spending. I think Randy Lerner was hit quite hard when you had the global credit crunch in 2008. That really did sort of knacker us a little bit. And at the same time, you had City get taken over. So we kind of we suffered from not being able to financially compete with some of the teams around us. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, obviously, there's certain clubs that have got ridiculous money to spend. But most premiership teams can spend a bit of money now. So it's more having having the, the manager in place rather than the finance, I think is is the big key. And I think we've got a manager who's clearly demonstrated what he can do with clubs of our size and and what he can do with players in terms of improving them. So, yeah, I couldn't compare him to a previous manager, but the sort of feeling and level of excitement and, and sort of, um, yeah, looking forward to what will happen Probably the last time was Martin O'Neill, and then the time before that, you go and John Gregory, which is you know that's that's quite a way back. So yeah, it's been a while, and I think like for me that that shows the level that I that I hold him at. That I, that I think we're we're in a position where we we could get back to those days where there was like genuine excitement around the club. See, I would say maybe a little bit of Julie, and of course it was a short sample yeah. size because, but. I mean, we all know what happened and it's really unfortunate, but I just look at it in the sense of the kind of the aura and experience that he had. And it's almost like a what if thing. I think in terms of that, I would say maybe that's the closest, but I, I, I mean, of course, every manager is different, like you said. And I mean, across the years, we've had some absolutely dreadful ones too. So we can't even begin to compare. But the one thing I did want to look at before we do wrap things up, because I don't want to make this too long of a podcast, because I know during international break, some people like to uh, take a little bit of a mental break from Villa and de-stress for a little bit. And to be honest, I can't blame you. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes it's exhausting. And even when it's brilliant, it can't be exhausting because that's all you want to think about. 
But when you look at the next 11 games, the final 11 for Villa in the Premier League this season, eight of those 11 are against teams above us, Neil. Now, I mean, you can look at this two ways. Some people may be a little bit pessimistic and think, well, that's a massive uphill climb. This means maybe in their mindset, essentially, it might be, might be kind of an average to kind of a little bit of a, a, a bummed out kind of end to the season where we've maybe not peaked, but essentially it's a, it's a massive hill to climb. Or really, there's the other way that some people look at it and that I'm choosing to look at it because Simon knows this after the last podcast. I'm going to be delirious if we beat Chelsea. Um, but when you sit back and look at it and think, you know what, this is the time for Unai Emery to really see how far he can take this current crop against some of the best teams in the league, against most of these teams that are above us, and really see where Villa are. So where do you kind of sit with that? Um, Yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with what you said. Um, I don't fear many of the teams that are above us. Um, Obviously, I fear Man City I, and, and, and Arsenal. and But like we've we've fared pretty well against those teams under Unai Emery so far. You know we've already we've, he came straight in. And he had two days of training and he beat Manchester United three one. You know so it's it's a, that was a ridiculous result. You know that was that's a result for the ages. Like he he was at he was at build a bronze statue territory at that stage already. You know beating Man United because that's not something that Aston Villa tend to do too regularly and he does it in two days of training. Um, but. Um, I don't really. I'm. I'm. I still hold out hope. You know. I. I've. I'm becoming synonymous with the phrase of now that Unai Emery is over us. I think we can win any game one nil, if we really like. If we're really. If everybody has had their weed a big that morning and shows up and 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 has had a good night's sleep, I think we can beat any team one nil. Um, I know a lot of people would say yes, we concede goals and we do, and we have conceded lots of goals in some games. Obviously, against Leicester wasn't exactly a crowning a crowning glory. Uh, the Liverpool game, I thought we were naive in defence, but those two games seem a long way away now. And uh, you know, you look at the Man City game when we play Man City, and we were poor for for a portion of that game, but we did come back into it at times as well. And I think Unai Emery is still learning what this team is capable of, what these players are capable of. And, you know, with regards to this run-in that we have, I think I read somewhere today that it's the second hardest run-in in the whole league based on points or statistics or, or whatever. Um, I can't remember what it was, but we do tend to have the second, or we do seem to have the second um, hardest run-in with Brentford having the hardest, it seems. Um, but yeah, I think we have to be hopeful going into a lot of, a lot of these games. Like, it starts one game at a time. We play Chelsea, um, on uh, the first of April, I think it is. Is it the first of April? I can't remember. Yeah. Yes, I think it is. We played them on on the first of April, and um, take it from that day, we are very capable of going to beat Chelsea, um, and getting a smash and grab against Chelsea, and then then we see what happens then with the Fulhams and the Brentfords and the Brightons and the and the Newcastles of this world then afterwards. Um, because even though they are ahead of us, I still think they are teams that are realistically on our form of how we're playing. They are teams that are around us at the moment. And, uh, you know, we take points off those. We start to see ourselves catapult up the league. But it really will be that cliche one game at a time, I think, over the last 11 games for Unai Emery. And if we finish 11th or 10th, so be it. It's fine. But there still is a small little bit of that carrot peeking out that we could try and get a bite of if we were to win two or three games and uh, over the over the next couple of weeks and uh, start to propel ourselves up the league because um you know there are teams that are faltering slightly above us 
uh, and being drawn back to the mean, whereas we seem to be plowing ahead and a uh, long way to continue. Neil, every game's a cup final. We just have to remember yeah. that at That's the end it. of the day. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> well, you know what? Like I said to Simon last podcast, if we beat Chelsea, I'm going to go absolutely delirious because for one, that means we're not deadlocked in 11th. Thank Christ. Second of all, that means we're in the top 10. And I, I think everyone here and everyone can li- listening can agree when you watch any Premier League highlight show and when they show that top half of the table in the first scroll, that's where you want to be. That's where the cool kids are. And I'm, I'm ready to see Villa there on the regular, to say the least. But Simon, I'll throw this to you. I mean, we, we've discussed it before, so I, I won't kind of ask you a similar question to what I just asked Neil, but when when we're playing the likes of United and of course I think we still have Spurs and like we all know we have Chelsea I mean these are all real opportunities like I said to prove what's within this current squad but it also kind of gives you that little bit of hope in a sense that you know what there's more to come essentially if that makes sense yeah definitely I mean you saw you mentioned United and Tottenham I mean we've beaten them beaten both of them already this season so we know we can do it um, you know obviously the, the, you know, there's, there's not a gimme that you're going to go and do it again but we kind of we know what the squad's capable of and it's just yeah kind of reiterating what Neil said there sort of taking it one game at a time you kind of you look at the teams in the round us but you, you know you look at Brentford and Fulham you know, there's, a, there's every chance that Mitrovic and Tony who are absolutely key to both of those teams. There's every chance that them two may not have much of a part to play for the rest of the season. And, you know, that 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 could be something that, that I think would have a big effect on them. And so, yeah, for me, I, I, I do think, and I, I said it after the last part, I, I still think there's there's an awful lot to play for this season. Like there's there's a real opportunity to to get yourself sort of around the seventh, eighth mark. I mean, I, I I do think that we will finish in the top 10 this season because, as I said before, obviously Brighton, Brentford and Fulham, they're good teams, they've got good players, and, you know, they've got a good way of playing. But I do personally think that we have got better squads than the three of them, player for player. And I think the more we get used to playing in the way that Emmy wants them to play, you know, there's an improvement sort of week on week with some players as well. I, I still think there's there's an awful lot to play for. It's not going to be easy, obviously, and you know, as you say, we've got some of the games that we've got. We've got quite a few of the teams above us, but we don't have to play Arsenal and City again, thank God. And they're they're probably the two teams that sort of like Neil said earlier. You you can't you go into those games thinking, well, this is almost like a free hit. But you know, we ran Arsenal pretty close. We played the other week, so every other every team that we've got to play. I think we're capable of of winning every game that we've got left this season, which, I mean, that's, you know, I don't think for a second that we are going to win every single game between now and the end of the season. But the fact that you sort of, you're going into those games thinking, you, or sorry, I should say, you're not going into those games thinking, well, we're not going to get anything today. I, to, the fact that we're in this position, considering where we were at the start of November, it is unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I, I still think that there's there's real opportunities for these players to, to go and prove what they're capable of and what they're made of. 
Oh, come on, Simon. What exact position are we finishing in? I think we'll finish eighth. I really don't. I would ask you we'll... for the points total, but to do that math so quickly, I won't ask. I, that. <laughs> I, 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 I think we'll overtake Brentford and Fulham. I, I really do. Because as I, say, I think Mit- well, Mitrovic is going to get a huge ban, which and they've been on the side a bit anyway, and that'll knock him there. There's a chance Tony could be getting a ban, which I think will have a huge effect, effect on Brentford. I, I, I think we'll finish above both of them. I'm not. I, I couldn't say who the other team that we'd have to overtake for eight. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go eight. Fair enough, Neil. How about you? Um, yeah, to be honest with you, as I say, the, the the finishing position could be anywhere from from seventh down to eleventh at the moment. But I, I think I'm not as optimistic. I think it might be about ninth. Um, and I think that that's good progression, you know, yeah. for for what we've seen since Unai Emery has come in, a ninth place finish would be stuff of dreams. Um, anything higher would be stuff of absolute, you know, elation. Um, I think. Uh, but I think, yeah, I I agree with a lot of what what Simon said there as well. That I think that you know we are catching up with teams. I don't think Ivan Tony's going to get banned this side of the end of the Premier League. I think they will leave it until the off season, ban him, and um, it will it'll be a good chunk of next year, I would imagine. But Mitrovic being out for me is huge. You know, but uh, can Fulham, um. Can they uh, spread his goals around the team? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Although the manner Solomon has come in and he started banging him in like mad, um, a player that they signed and then they didn't sign and then they, they actually did sign him. Then afterwards, it was a real saga there about he's signing for a time. So I think we can catch one or two teams ahead of us. But you know, Chelsea seems to be a big speed bump for us at the moment. We can't seem mm. to leapfrog those. And we will need to leapfrog Chelsea to be able to catch the teams above us, above them as well. So um, it's going to be an interesting last few games. And I'm really looking forward to the end of the season. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just kind of looking at the table quickly, uh, Brighton, obviously in seventh, they have two games on hand on us, Chelsea, Fulham, Mm -hmm. um, and Brentford themselves. Of course, Liverpool are in six. They have a game in hand too. So there's that to think about as well. But I mean realistically quickly with Fulham the fact that they're even there this season's ridiculous if they finish even 11th that's massive for a newly promoted side I think same with Brentford if they finish even 10th I think that's fantastic I do think Brighton are basically going to be locked somewhere in 7th or 8th um, when it comes to Villa it's really tricky but I think I'm just going to copy Neil to be honest and say 9th I would say 10th but I just feel like we're going to finish stronger than Fulham are um, you, you look at Brentford and you look at Brighton, I think they'll finish just about where they are. Um, I feel like Chelsea might swap in there somewhere, maybe. Um, because I mean, it's typical Chelsea or a team that's a traditional top four side, you would say, or some would say at least, to have a stronger end to the season after what can only be described as a little bit of a tumultuous one. Um, but we'll have to wait and see, of course. But Well, before we wrap things up on this edition of the podcast, I did put a poll out roughly around 30 minutes or so before we started recording. So thank you to the 125 or so of you that got involved or on Twitter on a Friday evening. Of course, you'll hear this on the Monday. So just a kind of a context of timing of recording. Um, Essentially, just kind of asking on a scale of one being poor to four being excellent, um, how we've been rating Unai Emery's job as Villa boss thus far. 81.6% gave him a four. 
18.4% gave him a three, which was, I put just as a pretty good, no one gave him a poor or could be better. So, I mean, to those 125 odd people, um, you can tell we're all a very happy bunch. Um, but I mean, I'm going to throw you guys under the hot seat a little bit. I feel like it's a pretty easy question. So maybe it's not maybe a hot seat. Maybe it's a, uh, a slightly toasty seat where it's uh, comfortable, but not uh, making you too sweaty. Simon, I'll, I'll throw you under first as the experienced head on the podcast. And what would you rate it out of one of four? Um, probably go, I'd say a 3.5. The only, to be perfect, you've got to win everything. Like <laughs> the, the, uh, the cup exit to Stevenage and the defeat to Leicester, probably the only two sort of, Things that I'd, I'd say were were quite disappointing. Everything else, I, I don't think there's been a problem. So yeah, I'll go three point five. I love how you made your own score there when I said one. <laughs> I, I I didn't specify decimal, so that has to be uh, my own fault there. But uh, Neil, what are you going with? Three point two, three point one one three. What are you going with? <laughs> I I go with straight out four, and the reason being is because we got our right man, and he's come in, and he's had the right effect for us in a short space of time without spending money, um. There is no such thing as a perfect manager that would have perfect results, um. Even uh, unless you're Aston Wenger with the with the Invincibles, but then again, there was <laughs> cup games that he lost that season as well. And so you know, I I I go with a four. Um, I genuinely, as the year went on, to, at the start of the year, towards when when uh, the managerial change came in, there were times there where I wondered, would we score a goal again? <laughs> um, and uh, you know that for me has been massive progress considering we've scored in every game our identity is back our team is back the respect in our name is back and for me I think he gets a four so far because just the reason being is that we have not spent money he's had injuries to key players to deal with and secondly as well we've done it in such a short space of time so up to you now for me because he's been absolutely uh you know he's been all we've we could have asked for in the manager and i don't think there was anyone we could have uh we could have hired that would have given us this bounce in such a quick space of time so right man at the right time and hopefully this is the right club and he's able to replicate his successes he's done at sevilla and uh Villarreal previously as well Absolutely. Well, um, in this next statement, I think it'll be pretty obvious what my score is, but in Lord <laughs> Unai, we trust. Um, I, ha- I have to give him a four. I mean, Simon, I understand what you mean, but I the, the fact that you consider where we were when Gerard yeah. left to now, I mean, it's night and day. We don't even look like the same side. And to me, it still boggles my mind considering some of these players. Oh, I mean, not some really only what I think maybe McGinn at this point, unless I'm missing one other person has even still existed under Steve Bruce. There's been that many different managers that have had these players and different regimes that have had different idealities in terms of who should play where, what what's going to be the ethos and the formation and the setup and all that kind of stuff. The fact that this group of players also wear I don't know how many summers now where a lot of people online have said it's time to kind of ax a lot of players and get some new blood in more so than the old. Um, It's so impressive to see what he's done with a lot of these players, which I wouldn't say I gave up hope with, but um, it's just been a refresher to know that you don't have to spend a billion pounds um, and actually be 10th or 11th. Um, maybe that was a shot at Chelsea. I just thought of that. That wasn't even meant for that, but uh, take that as you will. 
<laughs> but uh, anyways, I think that's a good place to leave this podcast. So thank you very much to Simon and of course to Neil for joining us as well. So Neil, I'll throw this to you. If anyone hasn't heard of your podcast as of yet, I would be absolutely stunned at this point, but where can people find you? Thanks very much. And thanks very much for having me on, guys. It's been a really good chat. Um, you can find me on at Love McGrath Pod on Twitter. That's where I tend to do most of my business and YouTube and, and any of the audio podcast platforms as well. You'll find us there. It's it's one of the key, like I, I know that the, the whole cast has, has a very unique name and obviously the website at 7500 The Holt has a very unique name. But I think we might be the only podcast that has Paul McGrath's name in it. Uh, so it's very easy to find us. If you just type in Paul McGrath uh, podcast, you'll find us on any platform or any uh, streaming service that uh, that, uh, that you, you can find. We should be up there somewhere. So thanks very much, guys, for inviting me on tonight. Really good, really good conversation. And uh, yeah, thanks a million. Oh, no problem. I always like saying your podcast name out because like, I don't mean this any in any offensive way, but it's such a long podcast name that I love it. <laughs> and I, I feel so I feel so rude if I just say for like Paul McGraw podcast or something like that to people. I feel like I have to be respectful and say the whole thing. Um, but yeah, like it, you said, it, it's a, it is funny, though. I, I will say it is funny, though, when I do podcast when i i go on and do like um opposition preview games or whatever an opposition podcast i can guarantee i think i've only been on one that the um the person who's doing the podcast hasn't stumbled over the name of the podcast <laughs> so <laughs> it is one of those for the love of paul mcgrath it's one of those ones and then obviously as well the sometimes you know you're you're speaking to um if you're speaking to maybe a journalist or something like that it it, it you know it's nice to have the name in there because a lot of people will find it synonymous synonymous uh with uh with good football as paul mcgrath was and uh you know he's a man that's very much cherished here in ireland and, and around the world so um yeah i i definitely wouldn't be naming my podcast after anybody else uh <laughs> just because of what, what that man has done for what that man did for irish football and uh and for villa at the same time oh fair enough and of course it's always good to get some more context of course if you want to uh check out simon of course it's at cy o'regan or you can find him putting um young seb in a bin somewhere around at villa park <laughs> i'm sure of it that better happen prior to the end of the season i mean i, I think that needs to happen after his disgraceful performance at half time in the bournemouth game yeah, well, we're saving that for when Seb's on next. I did tell him that we'll never bring it up because we forgot to last time. But don't worry, Seb, if you're listening to this, it's coming, young man. But regardless of that, of course, you can find me on Twitter at TalkAstonVilla. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. Email the podcast, holtcast at gmail.com. And of course, check out the website, www7500 to Holt. Dot com. We should hopefully have a Chelsea preview out prior to the game on April 1st. But if not, of course, we'll be back right after the match, um, bright and early Monday morning to reflect on hopefully another Villa win, hopefully more positivity, and hopefully another Unai Emery love in, love fest, whatever you want to call him. Lord Unai, we trust you the most. We'll leave it there. And don't forget, up uh, the Villa. Up uh, the Villa.